Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. On this day before Memorial Day, I'll talk in a moment with the head of the Franklin County Veterans Service Commission about how they can help veterans in the area. Then I'll talk with Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown about the shooting this week at an elementary school in Texas. We'll get some comments from Ohio's Republican U.S. Senator about Ohio and Kentucky applying for federal money to improve the Brent Spence Bridge, which carries I-71 and I-75 over the Ohio River from Cincinnati. In about 25 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS-10TV, Tracy Townsend presents information about a new local program to promote affordable housing. The issue of crime and gun violence, the abortion debate at the Ohio State House, and more. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with Matt McLaren, director of Ohio, Find It Here. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, Robert Buck Bramlish, who is the executive director of the Franklin County Veterans Service Commission. How are you doing? Dave, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, we talked to you uh, a few months back, and uh, let's refresh everybody with what the Franklin County Veterans Service Commission is. That's great. Thanks. Let me take a moment uh, to just, uh, you know, talk about, you know, the Memorial Day is always celebrated this last Monday of May. Um, and, you know, it's really about all of those um, uh, that have lost their lives while in service to their country. And so, you know, we, we take time uh, to recognize on Monday the alter, ultimate sacrifice and even the impact of that loss on, on family and friends. So, um well, I work for a great place. So the Veterans Service Commission in Franklin County, and by the way, there's a Veterans Service Commission in every county, have the same basic mission. We just all operate a little differently. But if you're in other counties, while you're listening to this, they all have a, a Veterans Service Commission. Um, it goes all the way back to the uh, end of the Civil War, um, and it was about the local government and the local people taking care of their local veterans, especially widows and orphans. Um, so in Franklin County, we've got about 65,000 veterans. We may see um, around 5,000 of those veterans um, every year, and we might see them 12 to 20,000 times. Um, and we provide uh, assistance, a support, and referral for those veterans that kind of have long-term challenges. They may be facing um, either in poverty cycle or finding to establish themselves, homelessness, those kinds of things. Um, we, we have two main competencies in our agency that I'd like to talk about, and I'll just introduce them real quick. But the first is emergency um, and immediate financial assistance, you know, stuff like rent and mortgage support. Um, and then the other thing that we do is we're a pathway to veteran or VA benefits. We'll um, file a 1,000 applications for veterans a year um, for VA benefits. So those are the two things that we do. It's outstanding. You mentioned Memorial Day at the beginning, and I and I did want to mention your career in the military, 34 years with the Ohio Army National Guard and served in Iraq. And Memorial Day, I just can't even imagine the emotions on a day like that for someone like you who had a career in, in the military. I, I was very blessed. I had, I had a great career. I worked around great people. Um, you know, I got to be frank. I didn't have uh, a lot of the dangerous missions that a lot of my a lot of my uh, friends had, but, um, you know, I, I worked casually assistance a couple of times. I was a casual assistance officer and, and, uh, and, and I tried to try to help families that had to deal with, um, the loss of their loved one. And in this particular case, it was a, it was some heroes that we lost in Iraq. And, um, this is that day where we just all kind of pause and, and, and I know it's a big weekend and there's lots of neat things going on and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. That's great. In fact, that's what America's about is, is all these great things going on. But Monday, 
is that time to just take a moment and think about the veterans that, that, that sacrificed their future and their lives um, for all the things that our great country believes in. And we still have some World War II veterans around. We do. You know, we, we see about, you know, when I look at the, the, the demographics, it's about 2% of the folks that we see, you know, so we know that that, that greatest generation uh, gets smaller and smaller. Um, but uh, they've passed on, I think they've passed on their heritage to, to, to what I would say is the next great generation, you know, our Korean War veterans, our Vietnam veterans. Uh, I just think veterans, uh, in general, tend to be people that uh, that uh, men and women that are patriotic, that have wanted to serve their country, and, and they believe in uh, in the American dream. And so that kind of is why we do what we do. So so our agency is, is about trying to support the quality of life for veterans. And so when I when I talk about the financial assistance that we offer. Um, you know, you, you need to be a veteran. You need to live in Franklin County, or if you live in another county, you go to their Veteran Service Commission. Um, you need to have um, had you know, some level of honorable service and some level of active duty service. And, and with that, um, we provide a need-based program. We, we look at the, a veteran's income, but we understand veterans, um, sometimes they have, just like all of us, they, they lose jobs, someone's sick and misses a couple of paychecks. And so we really focus on Describe the need. What do you need help with and why? And so, um, you know, I use 2019 numbers because it's pre-COVID, but 2019 we helped 1,100 um, veterans uh, with mortgage and rent payment, and it totaled about $1.2 million. Over 1,000 veterans uh, came to us. Wow. Franklin Some of them are in a poverty cycle, and we're trying to help them work through those things and homelessness. And, and so we want that word to be out there, but we also want everyone to know that, that there are veterans that were doing well and, and we're in a good state, but then they just hit those hiccups or those bumps that we all hit, and they and they just needed a helping hand. And so we do things like rent, mortgage, um, uh, utilities, car repair. Um, we do we'll, we'll help 2,000 veterans a year with some type of food voucher, $400 food voucher, um, where they can buy their own food. Um, and, and so we're, we're very proud that we can try to help stabilize folks that are home um, because they've lost income or they're struggling with that poverty cycle. So um, we also, there's a couple of programs, um, you know, Dave, that I like to mention that I'm, I'm really proud of, of in our agency. One of them is we have a dental program. You know, dental is hard to come by if you're a retirement age, you know, or if you're, in, again, we're living in that poverty cycle. And, our program is based on poverty level. If you're at 250% poverty level or less, that's about $30,000 for one person. So that's a pretty generous, I think, approach. If you're at that level, um, we'll pay for everything from a, a checkup uh, to, to fillings to full dentures, uppers and lowers. Wow. Uh, and that's for the veteran, the veteran's widow, um, and, and the veteran's spouse. That's what that program's for. And so, you know, if someone falls into that... Uh, a category, they, they should look us up. The other one is our medical transportation program. We use taxis because we do so many. We'll do six to 8,000 uh, transportation um, uh, round trips a year. And, and we have taxis that come up to the veteran's home, pick, pick them up, take them to the appointment, and then take them back. Um, because we, you know, we just know we got to get them to those appointments. Sometimes they're checkups and, and sometimes they're cancer treatments three times a week. You know, whatever it is, those are two important programs that we do on our financial assistance side. Well, that's an amazing amount of help. Talking with uh, Buck Bramlish, who is the executive director of the Franklin County Veterans Service Commission. 
we've got a lot of uh, veterans from uh, the various uh, wars that we had in the Middle East. And there was a lot of, you know, because of the roadside bombs, a lot of uh, concussions and brain trauma. Have you seen any impact on that in terms of maybe some veterans that still need some kind of follow-up care that your commission might be able to help with? Yeah, I, I will say that, you know, I actually had, uh, uh, he became a friend of mine. I met him. Um, he, I was not with him overseas, but uh, he was hit by a roadside bomb uh, and, uh, and lost a leg. And I went to Walter Reed uh, to, to visit. And, and, you know, I saw so many veterans with prosthetics, you know. And so I asked the doctor, I go, oh, my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. There's so many veterans with prosthetics. And he said, you know, it's, now this was the doctor's words, and he was trying to be very positive. He said, it's a mixed blessing. He goes, part of the reason we feel we have so many veterans with with the, that are with prosthetics because of our advances in medical care, both in on the battlefield and back here, more have survived simply than ever survived in the past. So right. they've survived, and so we, we have a very robust you know prosthetic uh, uh, program. Um, but you you ask a great question, you know whether it's you know the, the Gulf War or whether they you know were participating and were fighting in one of the recent uh, wars or even back in the Vietnam War, some injuries. Um, they take a while to manifest themselves. You know, if it's if it, it may be a, a, a knee or a hip that you injured, whether it be in training or overseas, that you just got better and you were fine until you hit your mid fifties or sixties, and all of a sudden, boy, that thing hurts and you're struggling with your daily life. That's someone that that we want to see and talk about and, and see if there are benefits for. The same with someone that might have um, you know some kind of lagging issues with uh, some kind of injury, head trauma. Um, you know, we have a great vet center in Columbus. I think we have a great VA clinic that we work with, especially the social workers. We work with them on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, we, we try to be a repository, and we try to make time and space for solutions. And by that, what I mean is a lot of times we are paying the bills while we're referring that veteran to a social worker or the VA care or the vet center, um, all those folks that really try to help solve problems, um, and, and, and we try to enable that by, by helping them, you know, with, with the bills and housing so that, that, that they can remain housed. And that kind of leads to this, you know, I mentioned we do two things. One is financial. I should mention before I run out of time that we also, we file a lot of VA claims, and, and we kind of feel like we're a pathway for our veterans, maybe their widows, to seek um, uh, benefits through the VA. And, and, again, we'll file anywhere from 800 to 1,000 initial claims annually um, for VA benefits. And, uh, and we don't, you know, we will support the veteran. We'll help them track down records when we can. We'll, um, we'll actually help and then actually file the claim for them, um, submit it to the VA, and then we stay with them. You know, if it doesn't go, go through the first time or they have to appeal, um, these are the things that will help them. Sometimes it's a short process. You know, three to six months, and then many times it can be, you know, years, and multiple years sometimes to get things through. But those VA benefits sometimes are life-changing for veterans. And again, especially those that are really struggling. It may be 600 or 800 or $1,500 a month tax-free benefits that they now get based on um, a VA benefit that they're eligible for because they, you know, they, they became sick or the, the, the injured during training or wounded during battle or or they had an issue that with the military made worse. You know, they had, you know, they, 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 they might have had a little bit of a problem with their hip, but, but they fell or they did a jump, um, and now that hip is, is, is a long-term problem. So 
So those are the things that we do, and, and, and you know, we just try to be an advocate for that veteran as we, as we seek VA benefits, and we try to provide uh, financial support for veterans that have a need um, so that uh, we can impact their quality of life. So, Buck, if somebody uh, is in that type of need and they are eligible for it, how do they apply? How do they find out about it? And then how long does it take for that help to arrive for them? There's a couple of ways. Um, we used to be, you know, pre-COVID, we, were, we had a lobby, and, and, and that lobby sometimes would be packed, and sometimes it would be a very long wait. And that, that is something that, uh, since we started setting appointments during COVID, that we're not going to go back to that, to that lobby first come, first serve. So you want to call or reach out to us and make an appointment. So if you want to call, I'll give the phone number, and then I'll give some maybe a, a website number uh, as well. But I'll start with the phone number. It's 614-525-2500. Um, right now we've, we're taking a lot of calls. It may be two to three days, four days, before um, uh, we're able to get back to a veteran, and then we'll call them. We'll, we'll try to understand what the issue is, um, and then we'll set an appointment. That appointment can be on-site here at our office, or if they have a conflict coming downtown, um, we'll do a virtual appointment with them over the phone. We, we try to make it the veteran's preference in our approach. Um, another way to get a hold of us is you can go to our website, and there's an application for financial assistance on our website that you can actually fill out and send to us. Or we have a drop box inside our door at 280 East Broad Street. You don't even have to go through security. You can open the door, and the drop box is right in the door at 280 East Broad Street. And that website is vets, V-E-T-S, dot Franklin County, Ohio, and it's all one word. So I'll just say it, vets, dot Franklin County, Ohio, dot gov. If, if you, you know, the way everyone can help is um, if you know a veteran, make sure that they know about the local Veteran Service Commission. If they haven't, they've never been to see us and they have an issue, they should contact us. If they haven't been to see us for a while, um, we've certainly grown and, and, and uh, matured in the way we operate. I would ask them to, to, to contact us and, and let's set an appointment to talk to the veterans about what we might be able to do for them. That's excellent. Buck Bramlish again. He's the executive director of the Franklin County Veterans Service Commission. Anything else you'd like to add? Well, let me just, you know, uh, two, two quick things. Veteran suicide, you know, one is always just too many, you know, still 20 or 21 suicides a day. And, 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 and so I would just remind folks that the, there is a veterans crisis line. Um, that line uh, is 800-273-8255, press 1, um, and it's a 24-hour line, um, and it's a, it, it's, it, it's a tough thing, but it's something that we've got to talk about so that, that uh, family members know if you've got a veteran or there's a veteran listening, if there's, if there's a, a number to call where someone cares, they're going to take time to listen. And then the final thing is... Um, I remind us all, you know, to just take a moment on Monday, think about our Gold Star mothers, our Gold Star families, um, and, let, and that our thoughts and prayers are with them uh, this Memorial Day um, because their lives will never be the same. And, uh, and, and, and we just want them to know we're thinking about it. That's uh, it's great. You know, Buck, it's so interesting. Uh, the country, it seems like, is so divided about so many things anymore. But Memorial Day is one of those things that really does bring people together when they're at a, at a ceremony or when we talk about the military and freedoms, that's when we all get on the same page. Thanks for saying that, Dave. And you're right. You know, as, as a 34-year um, veteran, I, I've always believed that, you know, um, I believe that our military is intended 
to be apolitical. The politics decide where we go. They decide where, decide where we fight. That is the, 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 the nature of, of, our, of our country. Soldiers, airmen, sailors, Marines, our Coast Guardsmen, and, and those Space Force guys and gals, wherever they are um, at this point, you know, we, we, we try to be very good at what we do when our country asks us. And so I've always felt that the military is about trying to protect freedom and, 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 and not perfection. There's nothing perfect out there. Avoid, you know, you talk to a, a young trooper, um, they're going to tell you about how, how, how they try to protect freedom and what their role is. And, and, and I do think you're right. I think today we still kind of unite behind that idea that, um, you know, freedom, freedom doesn't just come naturally. It's got to be, it's got to be protected. It, it takes a, a strong and ready force to, to do what the nation asks. And, and that's, that's what our, that's what your men and women in the military, I think, uh, sign up for. It's very good. Again, uh, Buck Bramley, she's the executive director of the Franklin County Veterans Service Commission. Thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Dave, our pleasure. And, and thank you for, again, always uh, reaching out to us. You know, our, we appreciate it. We know that, that you and your station care about the, the veterans and the, and the military members and, and our community. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. It paid for me to be the first person in my family to go to school. That education got me to the first day at my dream job, which I can still hold while I serve part-time. That job and the home loan benefits I got from the Army National Guard helped me buy my first house. I also know that I will be one of the first to respond if my community ever needs me. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Early on Thursday morning of this week, I talked with U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown about the shooting in Texas. This conversation took place before revelations that the police apparently waited in the hallway for a substantial amount of time before entering the classroom and shooting the killer. Hi, Senator. How are you? Dave, how are you? Good. Good. Um, I wanted to uh, start out first, uh, your thoughts about uh, what happened in Texas and and what can be done about it. There simply is no reason one man should be able to kill 20 children, almost 20 children in a few seconds or 10 people in Buffalo out shopping or uh, kill all those people in Dayton in the space of one minute. Uh, There are clearly too many guns on the street. An an 18-year-old with no background checks uh, with um, almost immediately after his 18th birthday should not be able to go and buy an assault weapon. So uh, Congress needs to take action. The, The problem is the gun lobby continues Uh, to exert way too much influence in our government. And the gun lobby has stopped every single effort we've made to try to get assault weapons off the street, to have background checks, to have waiting periods, uh, to require some kind of training before you buy a gun. Uh, All these things we need to get serious about. Republican Senator Ted Cruz is saying this week that he uh, that Democrats blocked legislation he introduced nearly a decade ago that would have provided federal grants for bulletproof doors and glass at schools and armed police officers. What's your take on that? I, I don't, 
teachers don't want to teachers don't want to be armed teachers don't want to work in a place that's that's so locked down that there's sort of not much freedom of movement of students and teachers and these shouldn't be armed camps there's simply too many guns on the street too many young too many 18 year olds with no training uh, assault are able to go out and buy assault weapons um, this isn't this isn't an arms race to see how secure how many we can spend billions and billions and billions of dollars to make our school buildings more secure you can never make them secure enough against uh, a, a, a madman with an assault weapon and uh, as we know uh, there is there are mental health issues in other countries there are race issues in other countries there are uh, uh, poverty issues in other other countries. No other country has these kinds of of gun massacres because there's simply too many guns on our streets, too many people that don't have any training get access to these guns. People walking down the street don't need assault weapons. I'm curious, though, you know, I've been working for the same company for 27 years, and the only way I can get into the building is if somebody lets me in or I use my key card. Is it easier to get into a school than it is your own place of work? Well, workplace you can manage. And, and do, I want to ask the question, do you want every school building in the country, do you want to spend billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, for, for so that every school building has one exit, one entrance, that every school building has several armed guards, that teachers are armed? Do we want to teach our children that way? Um, it's clear there's, there's uh, Ted Cruz and other senators that do whatever the gun lobby tells them to. They get millions of dollars in campaign contributions from the gun lobby. They do the gun lobby's bidding, just like on climate issues, they do the oil company's bidding. And it's time that, that we, we break the lock hole that, that the NRA has on our Congress. 80, 90% of the public wants us to see waiting periods and background checks and a, a ban on assault weapons. Why are we just going to escalate this arms race? You mentioned mental health, and uh, we're seeing reports that this uh, 18-year-old had been bullied for a speech impediment uh, for many years in school. And and we hear this same sort of story repeated where it's a a disgruntled or a bullied kid who returns to the school and, and, uh, and gets his revenge. Every country in the world have children who have been bullied, and every country in the world have young people with mental health problems, and every country in the world has people that have been victimized um, by family or friends or teachers or people in the community, but no other country has these mass shootings. And the reason no other country has these mass shootings but we do is because it's you can, in, in Ohio, you can go in and buy a gun before you're eligible to drink. You can and um, buy an assault weapon, you have no waiting period, uh, you have no training, you simply, in a fit of anger, can go buy a gun and do huge damage. How long are we going to allow this to happen and do nothing? We're the only country in the world that has these mass killings because we're the only country in the world that allows people far too young to get access to weapons that are far too dangerous. Beto O'Rourke disrupted a news conference with uh, the Texas governor. Are you, do you see more of that type of thing happening where people begin to stand up and, and question more out front? 
Well, considering 80 or 90 percent of people in this country disagree with the NRA, think there are too many guns in the street, 80 percent of the people either want an assault weapon ban or background checks or waiting periods. And you still have politicians like the governor of Texas and the governor of Ohio and most of the state legislature in Ohio continue to make it easier for people to buy some of the most dangerous weapons that can kill, as we saw in Dayton, can kill multiple numbers of people in less than a minute, the public's going to continue to push and be angry and try to convince our elected officials to represent them, not the gun lobby. Should bullets and ammunition be more expensive? Well, I don't think making some of this stuff's more expensive is going to... I don't have much opinion on on what the cost of this is. I just think that an an 18-year-old with no training and no background checks and no waiting period should be able to come in and be able to buy an assault weapon with lots of ammunition and gun down dozens of people in a matter of seconds. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Dave, for sure. That's again Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. Ohio's other U.S. Senator, Republican Rob Portman, held a conference call this week before that shooting. One of the things that he talked about was infrastructure, including the Brent Spence Bridge, which carries I-71 and I-75 over the Ohio River from Cincinnati into Kentucky. Portman is from Cincinnati. Here are his comments. It just runs a couple of minutes. Infrastructure, it's exciting to me that we are finally applying for the infrastructure money for the Brent Spence Bridge, which I traveled across this morning and once again uh, was cringing, uh, a lot of traffic and no shoulder um, on both sides. Uh, But the uh, Ohio Department of Transportation and the Kentucky equivalent, Cabinet of Transportation, is applying for two of the three big programs in the infrastructure bill uh, that are accepting applications, Um, and that's the infra program, Um, It's the nationally significant multimodal freight and highway projects. And then the uh, mega uh, MEGA program, which is the National Infrastructure Project Assistance Program. Um, The combination that they're applying for is $1.66 billion. And uh, this would be for the Brent Spence Bridge Corridor. There's uh, another program that was uh, actually authored by uh, Senator Brown and myself called the Bridge Investment Act, which fits our bridge perfectly. And that's another $12.5 billion over five years that will be available for bridges like ours. That application is not due for another month or so. Uh, but when that one is um, um, ready to be applied for, we will be pushing on that as well. So I am uh, glad to see that we are moving forward quickly. There also is more bridge formula money, thanks to the uh, infrastructure bill that Ohio is receiving and Kentucky is receiving, uh, which is also available to be helpful. So after 25 years or so of talking about uh, the need to fix the Brent Spence, we're we're now taking these uh, very concrete steps to to get the funding and, and to get moving. Ohio's Republican U.S. Senator Rob Portman. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. 
Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State today. I'm Tracy Townsend. A new strategy to address the lack of affordable housing in central Ohio. The Emerging Developers Accelerator Program, or EDAP, focuses on underrepresented developers, women, and developers of color. EDAP is the dream of Lark Mallory, who is president and CEO of the Affordable Housing Trust for Columbus and Franklin County. She believes helping the developers with access to information, education, and capital will help supply the demand in the housing crisis. We're the fastest growing community in Ohio, second fastest in the Midwest. We have got to start talking about housing and the supply side of housing today if we're going to get this done and being intentional. So with this program, am I allowed to just... So what this program does is says we're going to reach out to those small emerging developers, provide them with access to information, access to capital so that they can get in the pipeline on the supply side so that we can start talking about the demand side of our housing issue. What's happening now? Right now, um, right now, these guys are in the space. Right. So this program is an accelerator program. They are already in the space. They need access to information, access to capital so that they can grow and bring us more housing units online. Might be a, a, a crazy question, but what's taken us so long to get to this point? I wasn't here. Co- <laughs> <laughs> you weren't here. I wasn't here. No, seriously. Um, Last May, I attended a webinar, and I heard about what they were doing on the East Coast. That was last May, May 21, right? So that, that it just inspired me. If they can do it on the East Coast, why don't we do that here? So I started researching, talking to a lot of other programs around the country, pulled bits and pieces from programs, and now this is our, this is our EDAP. And then the last thing I want to ask you, I was at your website and, you know, you shared your story and and how you relate to how tough it is to work and have a home. And how much does that come into what's happening here today? Okay, you're going to make me get emotional. Um, You know, it, it was actually a girlfriend, a mentor, Donna James. Donna said, Lark, tell your story and tell your story about why it matters. Um, if it weren't for my family, right? I, I was my grandmother. If it wasn't for my grandmother, I could have easily been a foster kid, aging out and looking for a place to live, like what they're doing with Star House. But because I had a family who embraced me, supported me, I went to college, went to law school, um, went and got a master's in tax law because I had a family, and that was the difference there. And what we're saying to these emerging developers, we are going to surround you with what you need so you can get this done. It's personal. We're not talking about widgets. We're talking about lives here. The Affordable Housing Trust for Columbus and Franklin County is a nonprofit lender, and it is leading this program. There are major funders involved here in this public-private partnership, the City of Columbus, Franklin County, and private businesses, including J.P. Morgan Chase. And while we're talking about J.P. Morgan Chase, 10TV's Clay Gordon sat down for an exclusive one-on-one with the chairman and CEO, Jamie Dimon. 
a family or consumer uh, sees this, what do you kind of recommend during these volatile times for them when, you know, gas prices here at $4.49 in Ohio? Um, what's your recommendation, uh, especially since you said it's going to take some time for, you know, the Fed's plan to, to roll out? Yeah. So I, I give you a more of a longer-term strategy, which is I think we need to do things to make jobs in the lower end pay more. So, I, you know, I'd be in favor of doing, like, raising minimum wages, uh, changing the earned income tax credit, uh, and I think if oil and gas prices go that up, we're going to have to do something about that because, as you know, the, the lower-income individuals suffer much more than that. So we need to be very thoughtful. What we shouldn't do is constrain the delivery of oil and gas. That will make prices go up even more. You mentioned uh, low-income um, households, uh, and you need to help them out, too. I know J.P. Morgan Chase has been uh, kind of reversing um, some of their underwriting with loans to make it more equitable for everyone, especially people of color. Um, could you tell me about that? Yeah, so we've gone out of our way, you know, after COVID. We started way before all this, but COVID, the murder of George Floyd, you know, a lot of people said, we, we have to do more to help the black community, to help the lower income community. So we've announced enormous programs, $30 billion for racial equity. But think of mortgages for minority families and how we can go about making them more, more attractive and more available, including using like data and AI to do what I call reverse discrimination. Like you may not know, but rent payments are not included in credit score. But if you've been paying rent for 20 years, you're probably a very good credit. So we're looking, we're putting more loan offices in black neighborhoods and things like that. 12 billion of affordable housing, a lot of stuff on work skills to get kids in high schools and community college with skills like coding, program management, cyber. So when they get out, they've got good paying jobs. Do you think large corporations should be taking stances on, you know, major policies, um, you know, such as potential Supreme Court decisions on abortion rights, so to speak, and uh, even gender and sexuality being taught in the classroom? There are some major corporations that have come out publicly on this. Just what are your thoughts on that? Like, you have to be very careful on this one. So we support proper voting rights totally. But when you talk about the voting laws that a state passes, there's usually 100 things in there. And you might sit here and say, well, I support 50, but not the other 50. Same with some of these uh, bills for gender in schools, and same for some of these other things. So you have to be very careful you say support. We support LGBT community 100%. That doesn't mean that every law that someone passes, we agree with every piece of it. And so I don't think corporate America should, should become a weapon for either the left or the right and adopt those things. We still can have our principles, and there are times you should fight those principles. But I read those laws very carefully. We have. And, you know, every one of these things, you probably would agree with some and not with the others. Why should we become a weapon for somebody else? And what does that mean for, you know, some of the branches you have in most states? And, you know, some of those states have those laws. Yeah. So we'll, when we have something to say, we'll say it. You can hear Clay's entire interview at 10TV.com or by downloading the free 10TV app. Violence took over the headlines this week across the country and here in Columbus. The director of Columbus Public Health is calling gun violence a public health crisis. Dr. Mashika Roberts says the shootings are impacting too many children of color and the city and its leaders need to work together to find solutions. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains how the city is looking to curb gun violence. They're shooting in the parking lot. I got hundreds of customers in here. When gunshots rang out in downtown, did go through my window. It was another example. How many shots did you hear? A lot. That gun violence can happen anywhere, even during a food festival. And I saw a guy, a black guy, standing there with two guns in his hands, shoot with his arms straight out, shooting in our general direction. The question for city leaders is: What do we do about it? 
What do we do about it as a society? And how to keep repeat offenders from reoffending? When you allow children to get to a certain point in their life, sometimes it's too late. One way this group plans to reduce gun violence is to attack Senate Bill 22. The law prevents health departments from issuing health orders for groups of people. However, there may be a loophole in the law that would give health departments the ability to regulate property. Does not in any way mention limitations on regulations of items or properties, simply persons. Regulations that go directly to the firearm as opposed to the firearm owner would also fall well within SB 22. City leaders believe declaring gun violence a nuisance is one way to combat gun violence in the city. People in our community are dying at very young ages because of guns. And so we need to see what more we can do here in our community from the public health perspective to help reduce those incidents from happening. That was 10TV's Kevin Landers reporting on that meeting on gun violence is just one of many that will follow. National experts are going to join in the conversation with city leaders sometime this summer to talk about what other cities have done. The goal is for the city of Columbus to present a plan sometime in the fall. The city of Buffalo, New York, is still reeling after a man walked into a supermarket and shot and killed 10 people. Investigators are finished collecting evidence at the Topps grocery store. The evidence shows the attack was planned out and racially motivated. Political leaders in Ohio had this to say after the shooting. It is domestic terrorism. The terrorist threats in this country are, are you know, they're, they're international, of course, but a lot of it's white supremacy. A lot of it is anti-Muslim. A lot of it is, is um, what we've seen around the country in these mass shootings. Well, I think my thoughts were the same as everyone's thoughts. You know, my God, you know, this is happening again. This is horrible. One of the bigger questions coming out of the shooting involves New York State's so-called red flag law. The law allows courts to issue a protection order that temporarily prevents people who pose a threat to themselves or others from buying or possessing firearms. Ohio's attempt at a similar law failed. Kevin Landers back now to explain why. In the wake of the Buffalo shooting, we asked both candidates for Ohio governor what more can be done to stop a shooting like the one in Buffalo from happening again here in Ohio. The mass shooting in Dayton in 2019 that killed nine people and injured 17 was a crime many believe would turn the tide when it came to gun laws in Ohio. A so-called red flag law was proposed which would allow a judge to take away the gun of someone who was deemed a threat to themselves or others. It got little support at the State House. Governor Mike DeWine balked at universal background checks but supported expanding the pink slip law. My proposal provided for extensive due process. There was no one's going to take anybody's gun until they'd gone in front of a judge. A, a due process. So our, you know, I don't like to call this red flag because it's not. Uh, it's different and, and it was unique. And that was what we presented to, to the state legislature. But the legislature failed to act. Gun violence remains a major topic in the race for Ohio governor. Democrat Nan Whaley was asked what she would do about gun violence in the state. She tells 10TV she supports universal background checks and said in a statement, quote, we also need to make sure that those who shouldn't have access to a gun, like children or those with mental health issues, can't get one. Meanwhile, Governor DeWine approved laws that allow permitless carry and stand your ground. 
DeWine defended his administration's role in keeping Ohioans safe, saying he set aside a billion dollars for schools to help students struggle with mental health issues and created a working group that monitors social media posts to stop violence before it happens at school or anywhere else. They contact schools if they see something on social media that would indicate that there might be a problem with someone. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Testimony on a bill related to abortion rights got heated. Right from the beginning, lawmakers were warned to stay calm. A few minutes into the testimony, we heard this exchange. The reason this bill is structured the way it That's is... That's not the question. Ranking Member Brown, let's be respectful of the witness. Let's er, I, go through. I, I would like the witness to be respectful of my question as well. This was the second hearing for House Bill 598, which would ban abortion in Ohio if Roe v. Wade is overturned. The argument boiled over during a discussion about possible exceptions to the law. It would allow exceptions for cases of ectopic pregnancy, but not in cases of rape. Two lefts don't make a right. Sexual assault is a terrible crime that is perpetuated against a woman. Abortion simply creates a new victim. Ohio Democrats discussed a proposed amendment to the state constitution that would make sure women can obtain surgical and medical abortion services. House Minority Whip Jessica E. Miranda is a survivor of sexual violence and abuse and says it's important people have the freedom to make decisions about their bodies. I know firsthand what it is like to have control over your body ripped away from you. It is a complete violation of your freedom and your autonomy. And it is unequivocally not an opportunity for women, as one of our Republican lawmakers so callously put it when testifying about her legislation to ban all abortions with no exceptions for rape or incest or the health of the mother. It is absolutely appalling that Republican lawmakers are trying to control women's bodies. I can speak for myself and survivors everywhere in saying that no one should ever, ever be forced to do anything with their bodies without their consent. COVID-19 cases in Ohio are on the rise, but medical experts say this time it's different. We'll tell you why. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him uh, Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. The craziest thing was believing that your dad knew everything. So as a dad, you felt like you had to know everything. You had to get everything right. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then, you know, it kind of starts to work itself out. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Rob Portman. It's great to speak with you all at WBNS. 
During Asian American Heritage Month, Asian Americans are probably the fastest growing ethnic group in Ohio, and they enrich our communities in so many ways. I had the honor a few years ago to speak at the Columbus Asian Festival, where there was a celebration of music and dance, martial arts, games, and a lot more. It was a chance for all of us to learn something at cultural and educational exhibits. And there was some great food there, too. As I said then, Ohio is fortunate to have so many Asian Americans who are coming to Ohio, who have chosen Ohio for a place to start their careers and to raise their families. I'm proud to join you as together we all celebrate the month of May as Asian American Heritage Month. Thank you. And you can watch the senator's full message at 10tv.com, along with all of the other messages from community and government leaders this month. Now let's get to the latest in the battle against COVID-19 and our Facts Not Fear coverage. Cases are on the rise in Ohio. Case numbers have gone up week to week in the month of May. And before you think, ah, here we go again, we should note the Ohio Department of Health says this increase is different. 10TV's Lindsay Mills spent the day talking with members of our team of experts to find out why. We actually have better therapies than we had two years ago. Those treatment options, monoclonal antibodies and Paxlovid. They are really for anybody, regardless of their vaccination status, who has a high-risk condition. Here in Ohio, there are two types of monoclonal antibodies. These are medically manufactured antibodies given to help our immune system in its effort to fight off viruses. Bebtilavimab is administered through a single IV infusion lasting approximately 30 seconds. Evusheld, on the other hand, is a protective antibody, meaning it's intended to prevent disease among vulnerable people with severely compromised immune systems before they're ever exposed to COVID-19. Paxlovid comes in pill form and must be initiated five days of symptom onset. Therapeutic treatments are not one size fits all. Determining which is best for you is up to you and your provider. The benefits of monoclonal antibody is that it's a one-time injection, right? If you get an IV line, you get an infusion and you're done. Paxlovid, the thing that we do worry about it is that, yes, it is a pill, you can take it at home, but it has a component in it called ritonavir, which can cause a lot of drug-drug interactions. And for patients who may be pregnant or maybe breastfeeding, we don't have a lot of data on it. To know where you can access a test or learn more about those treatment options, there's a new section on the Ohio Department of Health's website, coronavirus.ohio.gov. And that's 10TV's Lindsay Mills reporting. Experts say these treatment options do not replace getting vaccinated or the need for additional doses. Okay, let's talk about the price of gas. It continues to be a big issue for families in our state trying to get where they need to be. Filling up the tank is costing more and more. We asked Governor Mike DeWine what he can do to help Ohioans save money at the pump. I don't have an immediate great answer for that. Uh, I think it would be a mistake to take off the the, the gas tax, Um, much as that might be an appeal. uh, You know, it's a very small percentage of the amount that people are paying. And then in six months, when we're driving our cars and people see potholes and they see that roads are not getting fixed, I think they'll look back at me and say, Mike, hey, that was kind of a trick you pulled. You you know, you, you, you cut the tax and it saved us a few pennies, but... You know, we don't want to drive on these roads either. We've been hearing your concerns about that baby formula shortage. Up next, we take your questions to the leaders on Capitol Hill and the Ohio Attorney General.
Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The baby formula shortage continues to be a problem for new parents across our state. The good news is a manufacturing plant that's been closed for months will be back in operation soon. But it could be weeks until the shortage lifts. 10TV's Clay Gordon pressed our elected officials for some answers. How did we get to this? Empty shelves and a search for baby formula. The shortage started bubbling up two years ago, along with many other disruptions in labor, transportation, and raw materials. Then this February, a warning was sent to parents to stop buying certain formulas manufactured at this Abbott Nutrition plant in Sturgis, Michigan. Child illnesses and even two deaths were reportedly tied to this plant. A whistleblower report by CNN outlined concerns to the FDA months before any action was taken. Well, we moved soon after we, were, we heard about it. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown and Pennsylvania Senator Bob Casey wrote the FDA a joint letter asking for answers. So what kind of answers are you trying to get from your letter? Well, the, the, sometimes there's not an urgency when the FDA makes a decision on things. But more importantly, right now, they need to always understand the urgency when a child has died from a contaminated substance of some kind. And, and that means immediately get in touch with the company, immediately alert the public. Major retailers and pharmacies are now limiting the amount households are able to buy at a time. We all work with Abbott to make, and, and other suppliers to make sure that, that there is safe baby formula on the shelves of grocery stores. We are watching the marketplace. Some are even turning to the Internet or other sources to feed their infants. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost says he saw a similar pattern with insulin. We don't know of any adulterated uh, product out there, but when prices start getting hinky, uh, that's something to be concerned about. Buying something from a retailer uh, is way different than buying something off a Craigslist from a stranger. Ohio does not have a law in the books preventing price gouging. Only protection against deceptive or unfair transactions under Ohio's Consumer Sales Practices Act. If you see anything unusual, Yo says, reach out to his office. We want to know about it, um, particularly in egregious cases. I'm Clay Gordon, 10TV News. The Attorney General's office tells us they've received one complaint of baby formula price gouging from a pharmacy in Jackson County. A lawmaker from Canal Winchester is pushing for a solution sooner rather than later. Senator Tina Maraha sponsored Senate Bill 314. It would require insurance companies to cover medically necessary donor milk. The bill still needs to be heard by the Health Committee. A new men's clothing shop opened in South Columbus in honor of the late former state senator Otto Beatty Jr. After Beatty's passing last year, the family joined together with Impact Community Action to open the Otto Beatty Jr. men's shop. The family agreed to donate his extensive suit collection, including shirts, ties, and shoes. The clothing will help men in need of a second chance prepare for job interviews and employment. Beatty's family says he was all about helping other people. The men's shop is a way to continue his legacy. 
We're sending a, a great message to the community that we must all pave the way forward. We've been very fortunate as a family because of this community. And so today when you, I walked into the room and I saw the suits, the shirts, and so many people here, it says to me that there'll be a part of us in young black men, more mature uh, black men, and others who will come to this space, the Otto Beatty Jr. Men's Shop. And it gives them a chance for the future. Presentation is still so important. But also, as Bo Chilton said, when he put on that purple tie of Otto Beatty, it made him feel a little more powerful, a little more ready. And that's what this is about, being ready to go out and be a part of the workforce. And with that, we know that Otto is looking down very proud of this legacy. And not only will men be able to get professional attire at the shop, there will be other services provided, including haircuts. We certainly thank you all for joining us here today and wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130. Here's Tracy to tell you what's on. I'm Tracy Townsend. Coming up on Face the State, we are looking at what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and bringing it home here to central Ohio. Our team of reporters is asking state and federal lawmakers the tough questions and the follow-up about what's being done to protect children in Ohio. Ohio classrooms from a mass shooting. You'll get their answers when you join us for Face the State. That's again this morning at 1130 on 10TV. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Matt McLaren, who is the director of Ohio Find It Here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. Where does Ohio find it here? We are the marketing arm for the state of Ohio, and we encourage visitors to and then across our state. And this is going to be the quote-unquote most normal (laughs) summer we've had in a while. Yeah, we're excited about the 2022 year. Uh, Actually, coming off 2021, Ohio did very well with its trips, especially regions like uh, the Hocking Hills and the Amish country. Uh, They saw record numbers. In fact, we saw $47 billion dollars in visitor spending in Ohio last year, wow. which made it the second highest on record. No kidding. Yeah, and this year we're hoping to see those regions continue to do well. In fact, uh, what we're hearing right now that they are, including areas like the shores and islands of Ohio along Lake Erie. Um, but with so many new and returning events and festivals, uh, we're seeing even more travel being planned. Uh, areas like Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati with their big events uh, are looking to have more and more leisure travelers this year. And with the, you know, the amusement parks are open now and Memorial Day weekend really is sort of the, I mean, the floodgates kind of open after this weekend, right? Yeah, it's an exciting time for us. Uh, Kings Island's open and celebrating its 50th anniversary. Uh, Cedar Point is open with so many incredible roller coasters there. Uh, The Jet Express is open and doing things across uh, Lake Erie to get people out to Kelly's Island, Put-in-Bay, Sandusky, and more. And you know what? With school letting out, it is travel time for the state of Ohio. What about Memorial Day uh, this weekend? Anything in particular you want to highlight? I know my family and I will be going to uh, one of the local parades. There are a lot of great parades across the state. Uh, If you're looking for festivals, I'll give you the Tremont Greek Festival in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Some incredible food. Uh, It's worth the drive there, and that will get people excited if they're thinking about the Columbus Greek Festival, which happens later in the summer, too. 
A Tremont area, too. That's around the West Side Market. That's a great area of the city. It is a great area of the city, and the West Side Market is a, a big draw, uh, along with the Cleveland Museum of Art, uh, two favorite stops of visitors to, uh, to Cleveland every year. Talking with Matt McLaren, he's the director of Ohio Find It Here. And I just uh, happened to see today, too, that the uh, the county fairs start June 12th as the first, uh, the first two of 88. <laughs> expecting a lot of county fairs to do well this year. Uh, people are excited to go to them. And the, the big fair, the Ohio State Fair, right. uh, will be in its full glory this year, happening from July 27th to August 7th, uh, something that we know will draw people to travel through the state of Ohio. And when it's the Ohio State Fair, that draws people from around the entire United States to come to it, too. Is there anything on the agenda this year uh, that's kind of like a nationwide or even beyond spectacle, like, uh, you know, when the NFL draft was in Cleveland or the NBA All-Star Game or, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that kind of stuff? Well, the NBA All-Star Game in Cleveland in February was fantastic. In fact, the numbers came out, had over $100 million in economic impact Mm. uh, and was one of the most attended NBA All-Star Games uh, ever. So just a really great event. That kind of set the tone for all the events to have a great year this year. And what we're seeing, it's the regional, it's the local events pulling from people both in the state of Ohio and in the states that border us that we think are going to do really well. So things like the Creekside Blues and Jazz Festival coming up on June 17th and 19th. Red, White, and Boom in Columbus. That's on July 1st. That pulls so many people downtown. will be a fantastic event again this year. Uh, Dublin Irish Festival coming up on August 5th the 7th. Then I'm going to give you some around the state, too. Think of the Pro Football Hall of Fame inductions on August 4th the 7th. Now, that one we expect to draw people from all across the United States. And then Toledo Jeep Fest on August 12th the 14th. Another great event right here in Ohio. From what I understand, the last couple of years during the pandemic, the state parks were just doing phenomenally with camping and that kind of activity. Yeah, our 75 free state parks across Ohio actually had record-setting numbers in 2021. And you know what, Dave? We're seeing that again this year. The demand for cabins is really strong. Uh, I tell anyone listening to the program, if they want a cabin for the state for the summer, they should be booking it now. And then another great thing to think about is our state park lodges. Uh, So many of our great state parks have lodges and Even if the cabin's already sold, a lot of times you can find a room there and still enjoy everything that the parks have to offer. And there's a new lodge at Hocking, I believe, right? There will be. It's being constructed right now, and you will look for that to open uh, at the end of 2022. Something I'd love to come back on and talk to you about at the beginning of next year. It sounds great. Talking with Matt McLaren, he is the director of Ohio Find It Here. So are you expecting this to be a record year then for tourism in Ohio? We're expecting it to be a great year. And coming off of uh, what we saw last year, really strong numbers, and then having so many events and festivals, I think it has a chance to be one of our best, if not our best year. Uh, In fact, right now you can find over a thousand things to do on Ohio.org. So go plan your trip and be a part of uh, a great summer. You know, there's some uh, areas, too, that are kind of uh, overlooked a little bit. I actually talked to somebody the other day who did not know that Thomas Edison was born in Ohio, but but I grew up in the Sandusky area, and he was from Milan, and, uh, you know, the Birthplace Museum is there, and those kinds of places, that and, like, the Armstrong Museum in Wapakoneta, you could put together a bunch of really neat places like that and find out the lives of worldly important people. 
Yeah, absolutely. Ohio has its share of worldly important people, uh, inventors, explorers, and leaders. Uh, in addition to Thomas Edison and uh, Neil Armstrong, uh, also the Wright brothers with uh, their contribution to flight. And then this year, we're actually celebrating the 200th, what would be the 200th birthday of President Grant. He has a boyhood home in Claremont that you can tour. And then the 200th birthday of Rutherford B. Hayes, President Hayes, whose presidential museum is located in the northern part of the state. Uh, two great places, especially if you love history and Ohio history, to go check out. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And there's there's presidential sites all over Ohio that are, you know, that's just fun stuff. Something that you can just decide to take on as like a summer project and hit four or five different areas around the state and have a great time. It is, and we've actually created a presidential trail. So if you go to Ohio.org, it will map out the best places to stop and see uh, to learn more about the eight presidents from the state of Ohio. That's great. Matt, anything else you want to add? Yeah, right now is the time to be planning your trip. We're excited for summer. It's right around the corner. There's over a 1,000 things to do listed at Ohio.org. Okay. Matt McLaren, he is the director of Ohio Find It Here. Thanks so much for the information. Great. Thank you, Dave. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.